Welcome to Bethany. So glad you're here uh, with us. Welcome also those of you that are over in the chapel. I'd tell you to scream or something, but we really wouldn't hear you this time. Uh, we're so grateful for those of you also watching online. Well, we're here. We made it. 2018. New year, new you. How's that? How's that working out? Anybody reading like Genesis 38 this morning? Great, great. Uh, how about Whole30? Anybody, any Whole30 folks out there? I see those hands and I see some grumpy dudes that are like doing it out of, uh, out of obedience. My favorite thing about Whole30 is that they give you this 30-day timeline, right? And so they're like, there's, you might go through some, 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 you might have some feelings and some thoughts during this month, namely anger. Uh, but they, they, they will tell you, like, never fear, this is normal. So, so this is from today. This is day 14, and they title it Boundless Energy. Now give me a bleep Twinkie. So they say, hooray, the slump is over. Your pants fit again. Your, your energy levels are, are better than normal. You're downright Tigger the Bouncing Tiger. But, but something is happening. You're You're dreaming. Not crazy nightmare or strange surrealist dreams either. Incredibly normal and realistic dreams about donuts <laughs> or Twinkies. In your mind, sometimes you get caught and you feel guilty, and sometimes you just brazenly eat the contraband. But then the, the feelings start following you into the waking hours. Suddenly, you're craving things you don't even like. Your, your coworkers' heads transform into giant Girl Scout cookies as you gaze on in disbelief. Seriously, you've all, you almost hit the, the halfway mark and, and now this. Well, January is, a, is a, a season of new beginnings and many of us are in a pursuit of a better life through, through a, a series of resolutions. We wanna, we wanna eat better. We want to exercise more. We wanna uh, do better in school. We, we wanna retire. We wanna be less tired in retirement. Uh, we wanna uh, be less bored in retirement. We... We, we want to make more money, we want to save more money, we want to own less stuff, we want to own better stuff. All of these things, these resolutions are in pursuit of, of lasting joy and there's a, there's a peace and a satisfaction that we're after. We're on the hunt for the good life. All the while, uh, we're fearful of how easily our, our, our hopes can be dashed and our, our joy uh, can be stolen. We, we might say it's... it's it's middle of January and, and, and I haven't been to the gym once yet, which in fact I, I would say wait, just wait until February because there's a lot of people that only go for the month of January. Uh, and so there's zero parking. Last year I did this. I got up at 5.30 in the morning to go to the gym and felt really good about myself and there weren't any parking spots left. And then I realized, oh, like I'm not that exemplary uh, in this moment. Uh, but the temptation when we experience some of these, these setbacks is, is to throw in the towel in, in, until next year. We've already failed. Uh, the Apostle Paul was no stranger to setbacks. And, and as we, we heard last week in the beginning of Philippians, that, that he had a commitment to adaptability and to the end of the story and a commitment to make the right investments and that this enabled him uh, to finish how he started with joy. Paul's resolutions were bigger. His, his vision was grander. So as we pick up uh, Paul's letter in the middle of chapter one, today we're, we're invited to consider the paradox 
of a man that's rejoicing while in prison. Now, if, if, if you're a church planter and your, your quest is to make Jesus known to the far corners of the earth and you show up in the first city and you go to jail, uh, that, might be, that might be game over. Uh, but we find him in, in jail rejoicing. And I wonder how is this possible? Well, if you'll follow along in, in, your, in, your, in your bulletin today, Paul, Paul's joy in the midst of struggle shows us that joy is sustained through a new way of seeing through an eternal perspective, made visible through three lasting, or what I'll call eternal, resolutions. To focus, to be courageous, and to persevere. So before we look at those, let's pray together. God, we thank you for bringing us here. Lord, I, I, I know what it takes sometimes uh, to show up uh, to church. Lord, it can be a risk. It can be challenging. Getting ourselves out the door and wondering if, if if we'll have anybody to sit with, or getting the kids out the door and, and wondering if it's, if it's worth it. Uh, God, sometimes we're, we're barely hanging on and we're in need of a fresh word and fresh vision from you. And so uh, I pray that you would meet all of us where we are at today, that your words would, would teach us and instruct us and inspire us, that you would encourage us as individuals, Lord, and that you would build your church uh, here today, Lord, for your glory. We love you. Amen. Well, let's consider focus. I, I lose focus all the time. Uh, one of the ways recently that that played out is when it's time to go Christmas shopping. Uh, my wife and I tend to split up by like the genders. She'll, she'll shop for the women, I shop for the, for the men, and I'll come back from these impromptu shopping trips with a bunch of stuff for myself. <laughs> like, well, they didn't have that for him, but it fit me. Uh, uh, another example of this that happened recently, last Sunday night I was... I was watching football uh, and trying to like, oh, I'm used to watching football, but there's no Seahawks, so I'll, I'll try to pick a new team. And every team I would pick would lose, and then I'd have to pick a new team. So I got bored and decided uh, to go to the gym, which is a better choice. So I walk into the gym, and there's a bunch of people standing around in the lobby watching this football game that I had previously left home watching on TV. So instead of like hopping on one of the machines, you know, and, and getting some work done, and there's TVs on the machines, like I could watch the game. I just sat down in this comfy leather chair <laughs> in the lobby and, and watched like 20 minutes of the game. And then I was like, oh yeah, I remember uh, what I came here for. <laughs> but our lives are, are not only uh, filled with, with these small, meaningless distractions, but they're also full of these bigger controversies that are vying for, for our attention and our support and our allegiance. And without taking anything away from the, from the validity of, of many of the things uh, going on in the world, have you noticed that every, every few weeks, sometimes every few days, for sure every few months, there's a new thing to really get worked up about? And, and again, hear me, I'm, I'm not saying that these things aren't valid, but I, I want to name the cycle and, and what it means for us. If you look back through your, through your Facebook feed or your Twitter or your stack of newspapers, like whatever, however you kind of engage with the world, uh, you'll, rem- you'll, you'll notice that 2017 was just full. That's just last year, just full of controversies, uh, full of things to, to get fired up about. Pastor Richard shared last week that he believed that the thing the church needs most uh, in the world today is is knowledge and discernment. 
Sometimes it, it, it feels like we're in this endless game of whack-a-mole, right? We're just swinging at everything that pops up. And, and I wonder, I, I don't know that what we need is, is just reaction after reaction. I think what we need is we need strategy. We need to see to the heart of, the, uh, of things to know, to know where to focus our energy. We need focus. We need, to, we need to understand what the right targets are. This is a time for us to, to rise up together against prejudice and, in, and injustice, against the devaluing of people that have been created in God's image and against the denigration of the world that God's created. But we need more than just reaction after reaction. We need focus. We need to know what the main thing is and keep that in our sights. We, we see in Philippians that Paul was focused and because of it, he was able to see beyond controversies and press on toward his goal. If you follow along in the bulletin there, our first point, we need a resolution to focus, enabling us to see beyond controversies. So what, what are these controversies and, and, and how do they play out in Paul's life? Well, the, the first is if we look at verses 12 to 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Being jailed at the beginning of his mission could have been game over or it could have been pause. But focus enabled Paul uh, to continue. And so the gospel continued. Now, Paul didn't have the internet. He couldn't just sit in one spot and sort of tell the world what they needed to know. Uh, but what he did have was the ability to write letters. Uh, and, and he had his captors. He had a, a captive audience. Uh, and so he wrote these letters and, and he shared the gospel with the Roman guard and word spread. He accepted his imprisonment and used what he had to advance the gospel. And he did this by focusing and seeing beyond the present issue. He could have been up in arms that he was in prison. Instead, he recognized that it was a setback, but not game over. And their second controversy arises, and we see it in, in verses 15 uh, and 18. Paul says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others preach it out of goodwill. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I think we love this kind of controversy. We, we sniff out something that isn't right and we, we sometimes throw the baby out uh, with the bathwater. Politicians, sports stars, pastors, celebrities, unless 100% is there, we can't, we can't support it. We, we discard people all the time. Well, my motives aren't 100% pure either. I, I want with my whole heart uh, for every part of your life not already surrendered to Christ, to be surrendered to Christ would hope that you would fall deeply in love with Jesus, but I also really want you to like me. And I thought about that as I prepared to preach. I want you to sign up to, to serve in droves so I can have less work to do. I want you to give sacrificially so we never say, we, I don't know if we can afford that. We could see a mission and we can go for it because God's people have put their life and their resources on the line to make it happen. We can have an incredible impact in our city if everyone's on board. But I think like Paul, we're going to have to be comfortable with 
We're gonna have to be comfortable to, to celebrate the wins where we find them. The, the world is full of nuance and, and compromise. It was then and it is now. And Paul celebrated the wins. He knew the goal and he kept laser focus on it so when distractions and controversies arose, as they always did and they always do, he could see beyond them and rejoice. And we need this focus as followers of Christ today. Now the second resolution we see in Paul's life is a resolution to be courageous. And this courage enabled him to see beyond his own life. A resolution to be courageous, enabling us to see beyond our own lives. I'll show you a picture here. I found this interesting. I I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. Most of the time I don't really know what he's talking about. But when he does pictures, it's sometimes helpful. Uh, And and I'm often uh, on, on the left here that the world revolves around me, that, that I'm the center of my story, that things are here for my enjoyment. Often I use my power as power over rather than power under. I know we're different than animals and we've been, we've been given dominion over them, but d- dominion uh, I think looks more like this second circle, that we're part of an ecosystem, that we're loving and serving and blessing uh, the things around us in your families and in your jobs and in your your communities. Each of you, each of us has influence. We have perspective and skills that can be put to good use uh, to serve and to bless the world, but we often live these small and careful and and, and insular lives, and I think it's out of this belief that whatever it is we need is gonna run out. And that's just not the case. Now, others live these wild and reckless lives, determined to kind of chase every whim Uh, with no respect for the gift of life. And Paul echoes Jesus in this chapter, and he says, lose your life and you'll find it. Paul had the courage to see his life as not his own, and where he was reckless, it was for the sake of the gospel and those he was serving. Without concern for his own life, he saw beyond his own life. So let's look at how this played out in a couple of different ways. We see in verses 19 and 20, Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body by life or by death. So what gives us this courage? Paul's encouraged by the prayers of his friends. In fact, he even mentions it ahead of the spirit's provision and at first I, I was taken aback by this I thought like hey you might want to flip those like Jesus Holy Spirit and then like my friends uh, but but as I considered that it rang true in my life that as I was preparing to preach this morning even though the the spirit is inside me giving me everything that I need affirming my call to ministry giving me words it was the encouragement of my friends and colleagues and family uh, that mattered most in the moment we impart courage to one another. Whose prayers are you encouraged by and who are you encouraging by your prayers? And I wonder, are we proximate and real enough with one another that we even know how to pray? Really often, uh, some of the, the, the deepest, most, most kind of soul-bearing and opening requests that come through on, on, uh, to staff, either in an email or often on the welcome cards, Uh, are by this person named Anonymous. Uh, We pray for you, Anonymous, all the time. Uh, But we'd love 
we'd love to lift you up and we stand with you and walk with you, but we wanna know who you are. And, and I often, when I see these things, I wonder who in their life is walking with them, who is hearing uh, these things. Same thing goes with these prayer books. Now I know these are prayer books and often it makes sense for them to be anonymous, but there are some beautiful stories of, of God's provision and, and, and hard questions being asked, even questions of life and death. And I hope that you have people to walk with you. If that's you this morning, there's prayer team people that will be up front afterward and there's Stephen ministers here at Bethany who are, are trained people that, that wanna just walk alongside you in a sort of spiritual friendship, be a listening ear. But if you don't have that, then we're failing as a community. We're to be a people who, who is uh, walking with one another. One of the most interesting things about the book of Philippians is, is that it's uh, Paul's most personal writing. That if you look through how often he says I or me, uh, it's more than, than any of his other writings. Paul was courageous in his honesty. Uh, he was real. So I'd encourage us to be real. The second thing that gave Paul courage was his belief that God's purposes would be achieved through him, alive or dead. Uh, and this enabled him to go on with confidence. If we look at verses 21 to 26, it says this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul knows that his life is a win and he knows that his death is a win and he shares his ambivalence. But he ultimately concludes with joy that his mission is to remain on behalf of of those he's called to serve. He counted the cost. Tomorrow we'll remember the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the, the odd or interesting aspects of his ministry was the certainty with which he professed he would die. He knew that he would die for the cause that he was pursuing. And with courage, enabling him to see beyond his own life, he counted the cost and he pressed on. Last week, we considered the importance of being a bondservant of Christ, a, a slave, this perspective that says, I'm not my own, my life, my body, belonging to and governed and used by, for Christ's purposes. And this is the prerequisite to the book of Philippians. We can say we, we love this book and we so agree with Paul, but we've got to answer the question, am I a servant of Christ? And if so, then we resolve to spend our life to be poured out for Christ's sake. And Paul says that his life will mean fruitful labor for him and progress and joy for the Philippians. I wonder what is your fruitful labor? Nobody looks good drinking water. <laughs> Whose progress and joy are you working on behalf of? How is your life making God visible? And, and, and more importantly, what and who are at the center of your life. Colossians 1 gives us this beautiful reminder of the centrality of Christ that we can find confidence in. That, that Christ not, no, no, not only created us, but he sustains us. And our lives make God visible because Christ made God visible 
and Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. Paul was able to place himself in the larger story and he understood that his, his struggle was not in vain, that in fact it was right in line with God's economy. The, the measures of success for Paul, the nature of the win, the numbers added up differently, which we'll see in a minute. But why? It brings us to the third resolution, a resolution to persevere, enabling us to see beyond the struggle. Now, most uh, translations of verse 27 say this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. At a glance, this seems to be about behavior, about right and wrong. Make sure people don't see you doing anything bad. Holy living, be a good example. But there's more to it than that. I'm told by smart people that there are two words that are significant here. The, the words, uh, in a manner worthy, uh, is the word axios. And this is where we get words like axiom, which can mean balanced or dependent upon or congruent with. So conduct yourselves in a manner that is congruent with what? <coughs> Excuse me. The words uh, conduct yourselves then is this word uh, politimai. This is where we get words like politics or public life and polis, which in Greek is the city. It literally means citizenship. Live your life congruent with your citizenship. And because Paul is talking about the gospel, more, more simply put, it would be live as citizens of the kingdom. Again, this is about more than conduct, more than a list of we should do this. This is about where am I from? Where do I belong? And what is my sense of, of purpose and calling as a result of that? Now, this is a big deal because Philippi is a Roman military colony, and they're fiercely loyal uh, to the emperor, who is literally known as the only Lord and Savior. Not only that, but these new Christians were, were converts from Greco-Roman paganism. And, and so in both these senses, their collective and personal identities had been profoundly shaped by Roman culture. And this, this shaping influenced their worldview and their customs, as, as well as their relationship to power and to politics, their social norms. And out of that came their theology and their view of God. And Paul is challenging these new Christians in, in, in Philippi to rethink their citizenship. Who, who's your real functional Lord and Savior? And, and, and where do you look for your sense of purpose and belonging? Where do you call home? Which kingdom are you citizens of? Paul is saying as Christ followers that we're not fundamentally or foundationally citizens of, of Rome or, or America. Caesar is not your king. Instead, you are citizens of the kingdom of God and Christ is your king. This had massive implications for them then and has implications uh, for us today as well. When it comes to our citizenship in God's kingdom, it's not just about a passport or a ticket to heaven. It's about much more. We're challenged to rethink and reorder our priorities, but also to, to restructure and reshape the way we live our lives. Citizenship worthy of the gospel means that we have to reconsider our relationship uh, to our stuff, to our wealth, the power and politics that govern our lives, our, our sexuality, the earth, every one of our relationships, our spouse, our children, a coworker who has slighted us or a stranger living in our midst, regardless of that stranger's citizenship, whether they're Muslim or, 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 or atheist or a fellow Christian or gay or straight or black or white, this one little verse 
Philippians 1.27 presents us with the challenge to rethink everything. And Paul was locked in a struggle, a real struggle. He wasn't just in prison, he was literally chained to a member of the Roman guard at all times. And for many of us, the struggle is in theory. It's on Facebook or it's in the news, it's somewhere else. And for others, you experience this struggle daily in a way that I won't experience, in a way that I don't understand. But, but Paul's life says, persevere in your struggle. And if you're not in a struggle, struggle alongside those who struggle. Be all in without fear. This is the way of the kingdom. So citizenship and a correct understanding of it enabled Paul to persevere. Paul was also able to persevere because of his confidence in his salvation. Let's look at verse 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. And Paul says opposition is further proof that they're on the right track. Many of us need to hear that today. They need not fear because their salvation was pending. He's encouraging confidence in the end of the story. And and I think if he had had YouTube, he would have showed them this example of confidence. That's confidence. (laughs) Audacious confidence. And this is the kind of confidence that we have in Christ. It's too good, it's too good. Now another example of this, of this confidence in salvation is in Matthew 7. Uh, we read about the wise and, and foolish builders. It's easy to miss the fact that the rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against both houses. Even the house on the rock had a flooded basement and a leaky roof, but it withstood the storm. Our confidence in our salvation enables us to persevere. There's a, a young woman who was a part of our community for many years and served in worship who, who over the last year battled cancer. And, and I want you to hear some of her own words. This is a, just a beautiful example of confidence and perseverance found only in Christ. Carrie Ann had to go to, for these week-long uh, chemotherapy sessions in hospital. And so she's telling the story of this and reflecting back. She says, we showed up to the hospital at 8 a.m. with clothes for five days and all kinds of things for my room. Essential oil diffuser, my own blanket, a heating pad, baby wipes, no shower with a constant chemo companion, a laptop, fake candles, the works. I was determined to make my room homey and comfortable. Healing is holistic, after all. I had been fasting in preparation for my port surgery, so I couldn't even have water, and my patience was being tested. All of ours was. At almost 10 p.m., my family was asked to leave the room, and the nurses got decked out in their protective gear and finally hung the chemo bags, and my first 96-hour infusion began. If the chemo bag spilled somehow, it would burn through flesh, and yet they were pumping it straight into my arteries. I had a moment to myself before my family came back in, just me and chemo, which is named, which I named Xena. Uh, Carrie Ann named everything. Her cancer's name was Lawrence. And she would often hashtag the death of Lawrence. She said, in that moment, I prayed over the chemo bags that God would work in huge ways through the poison that was now coursing through my veins. 
I pray that it would be the embodiment of the Holy Spirit and that it would burn away everything that didn't belong, physical or not. He answered and is still answering that prayer. Confidence, perseverance, found in Christ. And she wasn't alone, and Paul reminds us that we're not alone. He ends by reminding the the Philippian church of their unity through their shared suffering. And he puts their suffering in the context of an honor, a privilege. Verses 29 and 30, he says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. I wonder if this is how we view suffering. I think we often view struggle and trial and hardships as God having left us or as a breakdown of the way that things were supposed to go and certainly many hardships are the results of brokenness in our world. But sometimes there's this refiner's fire thing that happens. Perhaps our theology of suffering could use a look. My understanding is that faith in Christ doesn't shield us from trials but Christ shows us how to face them. Paul is reminding us that we have companions in the fight, friends for the journey. We stand together, fight together, suffer together, and this is the way of the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us another insight into how he views his own life and places himself in the world and what what enables him to persevere. He says this, therefore in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Who does that? I think we do. And it's because we're not from here, but we're here, and we have work to do. When I was uh, 15, I uh, had played guitar for all of about a year, and so I was invited to go on this mission team as, as the worship leader. And I knew we were going to Mexico, and so uh, I learned, uh, I learned a, a few songs in Spanish, uh, Shout, shout to the Lord, I exalt thee, Lord, I lift your name on high. It's like the holy trinity of mid-90s worship. Uh, and I went, and when we got there, one of the things they told us we were going to do was that we were going to go um, encourage, uh, encourage people in a prison. And so, you know, I had heard of prison ministry before and thought, oh, there would be like someone will come out. And No, like we went into the prison. That in Tijuana, there's a, there's a prison called El, uh, that was called El Pobito um, that in 2002 was, was shut down. Um, there were uh, 6,000 people living there when it was shut down. One of, the, one of the ideas that the Mexican government had at the time was that it would be easier for people to transition out Uh, back into the world if life in prison was more like regular society. And so they had this village mentality where even um, families of people that were incarcerated were allowed to live in the prison. It it, it was a slum. I I walked in uh, and I saw hell. It was incredible. Um, there, There were these 
death trap makeshift uh, apartment buildings that people had, had, had constructed and they had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars just to even have a bed. There were corrupt prison guards and I walked in scared as can be and, and there's a group of us and this man comes up with just the joy of the Lord and the light in his eyes. His name was Pastor Juan and Pastor Juan had been um, in, 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 falsely imprisoned, he said, and, and, and we all believed uh, for a crime that he hadn't committed, kind of like everybody that's in prison, but we really believed him, uh, and had been, had been a pastor outside, and then believed that God had put him in prison to do a new work, to start a church, and so we were there to encourage them, and, and he hugged me, and, and I, I, I just started little by little to see what he saw, and there were people coming up to us and reaching in our pockets and trying to hand us notes because they wanted us to contact people there were Americans that were there, you know, contact somebody that can help me in some way. And um, this guy comes from behind him and hands me this, this electric guitar. And it, it's got five strings on it, which I barely know what to do with six strings. Uh, this only has five. Uh, and so I immediately said, well, like, I always play with a pick. So I was like, you know, I'm a young kid. I was like, does anybody have a pick? And they're like, what are you talking about? So someone goes off and comes back with one of those little plastic bread clips so I got five-string guitar, bread clips. I got the Holy Trinity of worship songs. And, and it's time to start the service. There are literally about 700 people uh, in this wide-open courtyard, some on benches, some standing around. And I'm going to play these three songs. So I play these songs. Pastor Wong comes up when I'm done because it's like an awkward transition in church. Like I'm looking. The sheet said someone that's going to come up after. I can't pray in Spanish. Like the songs are over. So he comes up and he just says, otra vez, do it again, another time. So I do it again. And he comes up, otra vez, do it again. So I come up and by now I'm starting to kind of loosen up and have fun. And then he comes up at the end and preaches for like two hours or something, just his whole heart out. And by the end, my vision of this place had transformed from one of hell to one of heaven because I saw he had focus, he had courage, he had perseverance to continue what God had called him to do. And it changed my perspective that way. Who we are in the storm is determined by our habits, I think, created during the sunny days. Carrie Ann's faith was, was built before she had cancer and Pastor Juan's faith was built before he was in prison. But when those setbacks arose, he continued to respond in the same way and Carrie Ann continued to respond in the same way. So how do we do this? I think many of our resolutions aren't made real in our lives because they're sort of Hail Marys. It's the, the, the past, not the prayer. They're, they're shots in the dark. Uh, we're hedging our bets out of the gate. We're not all that committed. And, and I wonder, uh, as we've been sharing a lot if this is where uh, developing a rule of life comes into play, that, that there are these commitments of, of, of solitude and Sabbath and Bible study and service and hospitality and generosity that enable us to find, to find focus and courage and perseverance and develop this during the sunny days so that when the storms come, we can stand. And these cards are, are in the back. They're also online. But if you've not considered this yet, we're just gonna... We're just gonna keep hammering it week after week uh, until we start to take these things seriously. God is on the move in our city and through this community.
uh, and a commitment to these regular habits will be good for us. So let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for your uh, words to us. We thank you for the book of Philippians. We thank you that Paul uh, committed to, to his struggle, that he had focus and courage and perseverance. Pray, God, that you would give us that in whatever season of life that we're in. And God, if we're not in a struggle, pray that you would lead us to find people who are so that we can walk alongside them. God, I believe that you are doing good things through this community and and in this city. God, and I pray that our collective testimony, lives day in and day out through small choices, through a commitment to the end of the story, God would bring you glory and would change our world, would change our city. God, we know that your son Jesus went through everything and understands And so, God, we open our hearts to you now in worship that you would speak deeply to us, that you would change us, Lord, for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen.